Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard. And as always, I have my co-host, Neil Kulong, joining with me. Neil, how you doing this Sunday? I'm doing great. I hope you are as well. It's a gorgeous, hot, muggy day here in Pittsburgh, and we're all for it. It's a, it's a great June day. I, I love talking football. I love football weather and all that, but you can't beat the summer on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and it's and it's great. It it feels like um, the country is starting to come out of uh, uh, the pandemic fog, so to speak, and it it starts to feel as if uh, there there's a bit of normalcy uh, coming back, whatever that'll be. Uh, so hopefully, everyone out there um, is still being very safe, but but venturing and, and sticking their toe back in the water and trying to get back out there. And be a little bit normal. Before we jump into the topic of the show, want to let everybody know you can find the show on all podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. Also, you can check out the show on YouTube. Go to The New Standard or do a search for The New Standard with my name, Lance Williams and or Neil Kulong. When you find the show, please give us a link or a like, I should say, and a subscription we're, we're we're consistently growing just a little bit here or there. We're a little short, you know. We're about like, you know, two foot two in the market, but you know, our, our height is growing. Um, you know, it's the off season or the business season, I should say, and so things will be cooking uh, very soon. Before we jump into the topic of today's program, does defense win championships? And if so, what are some of the things the Steelers need to concentrate on? And what statistics to improve defensively to win said championship? Before we jump into that, Neil, on the news side, is there any news uh, that's cooking and brewing that Pittsburgh Steelers fans should be paying attention to? I would say the big thing right now would be the the conversation that was that took place between free agent safety Malik Hooker, who's a Pittsburgh native, and uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, four year veteran safety free agent first round draft pick of the indianapolis colts uh he is as of now unsigned missed most of last season due to uh shoot i should have had this up Uh, i think i thought it was an achilles injury uh but he's been out for a while he hasn't been a great player throughout his career but this is a team that uh depending on uh what you think the role for uh uh Millette, I forget his first name, but whatever role it is that we think he's going to play for the Steelers, whether as a cornerback or a safety, Hooker could be a guy that uh, could come in and provide some depth. And I would assume probably become more of a, a special teams guy as opposed to uh, anybody that you would see you know, getting significant snaps. He would not come in and play over Minka Fitzpatrick. Obviously, he wouldn't play over Terrell Edmonds. It's possible that the team is looking to sign him to bring him in in the, uh, for the sake of the future with Terrell Edmonds future being up in the air. Um, by that logic, I, I would say that he'd probably have a bigger market uh, surrounding him right now than the zero teams that have signed him. So uh, I wouldn't think he'd get more than a one year deal right now anyway. And I don't think they need to be worried about two years down the line uh, in a year that they don't have a whole lot of, of salary cap space. That said, uh, veteran free age, veteran safety depth is uh, something they've always kind of prided themselves in, uh, especially if they can play special teams. That would um, definitely rule out the possibility of Jordan Dangerfield's unlikely career extending to, I believe, a, a seventh year with the team. Um, that probably will not happen with or without Hooker, but it, it's he's a name, he's a guy to, uh, to, to look out for, but I wouldn't call that big news in Steelers land. Uh, For the sake of the Steelers as well as the rest of the NFL, news broke this morning that Falcons wide receiver Julio Jones is being traded to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Titans are a Steelers opponent this season, right? They're playing the Titans. Uh, Um, I'm not sure. I I can look it up, but I believe so. Makes a pretty explosive offense, a very explosive offense. Um, Dangerous player, no doubt. A player that the Steelers fortunately have not had to see a whole lot of in his career. Uh, The fact that he's in the AFC presents challenges uh, to the top teams in the AFC. Possibly the Steelers, if you want to think that they are one of them. But definitely uh, Kansas City, uh, Baltimore, anybody else who wants to make a run at a Super Bowl. Buffalo, for sure. Uh, he's tough. A.J. Brown, I think, is is uh, one of the most underrated players in the game. He's one of the best wide receivers in the game. Putting Julio Jones alongside him in a run-based offense creates uh, significant problems down the field. Let's see how they handle it. Uh, new offensive coordinator, 
um, <clears throat> can't believe I don't remember his name off the top of my head, Todd Downing. Um, we'll, we'll see what he's able to manage uh, with a, a pretty loaded offensive lineup in Tennessee. But that that's a good football team. They were a good team last year, and it looks like they got better. So um, not much going on news-wise, Lance, overall. But it's June. Um, I think those are two definite points of interest, and uh, we'll, we'll see what that means moving forward. Indeed, they do play the Steelers week 15, December 19th. And you could think he'd be fully integrated into their offense by then. Um, hopefully, you know, for his sake, you know, barring any injury, um, the level of comfort with him in that offense would have been established, I would think, by that point. And adding arguably the best wide receiver in the game or or a top five guy, one of the elite guys or, or a tier A guy, to that offense with the other guys you were talking about, it just makes them even better. And it just makes the AFC even more loaded and it makes the March to a championship even more daunting. And I think that's a perfect segue into the topic defense winning championships. Does defense win championships? And when we talked earlier this week about the show, we could have obviously, I think looked at the offensive side of the football, because I think that's where, most of the changes are apparent. But I think when you look at this football team, because of the situation with the offensive line, I, I think for this team to be competitive, the defense is going to have to play really quality football. And it could be a team, it, it could be a team in which this offense, as it integrates those new pieces on the offensive line, um, that this defense has to carry the water, so to speak, while this while this offense finds its way so speak to the overall topic of does defense win championships if we're going to look at anything in the nfl literally it should not be twenty-five thousand foot axioms that are spoken probably just as often today as they were 40 years ago the game evolves the game changes uh that pattern i, I couldn't tell you definitively how many years each each kind of epoch of the NFL goes. But what we can definitively say is that we're in kind of an offensive era right now. Um, there have been plenty of championships won by not dominant defensive performances. In fact, I would argue most Super Bowls are won based on offensive performances. Um, I felt, I'll just look at the most recent examples. Uh, for me, you definitely saw a great defensive effort by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in winning the championship last season. They shut down a great offensive team. Um, at the same time, their offense played pretty well, very sharp, very efficient. To me, it really kind of suggests what had the flashier performance. In my opinion, that was probably the defense last year. Before that, I thought San Francisco, in, in losing to Kansas City, played a phenomenal defensive game. I thought what we saw of Nick Bosa was a future defensive player of the year, multiple time defensive player of the year. Uh, one of the best individual defensive performances I've seen in a Super Bowl. Uh, he, he played out of his mind. They came up short largely because there was one time he didn't get to Patrick Mahomes and they happened to complete a 50 yard pass down the field that set up the, what was eventually kind of the, the backbreaking uh, touchdown for him. We can break this down to whatever subatomical level we want. The reality is if you look over any championship team, they had to win a lot of games before they got to the Super Bowl in the Super Bowl. However it is that they won that, it doesn't necessarily mean it's reflective of their entire season. We see different things come out of championship games, largely because they have. there's nothing left to, to hold out for. You're putting everything on the line, whatever cliche you want to use, and they have two weeks to prepare for it. So it, it's not necessarily the best indication of who your team was throughout the entire season. Tampa Bay is, is a great example of that in that I don't really think anybody seriously thought they were going to win the Super Bowl at the start of the playoffs. I, you know, even if they destroyed uh, Green Bay earlier in the season, I don't think a whole lot of people truly picked Tampa Bay to, to win that game, let alone get to the championship game. So uh, their defense stepped up when it had to. I guess they kind of fit that mold. But um, what we see up and down throughout the NFL is one trait rises above another at a certain time, and it's not always your defense. Nowadays, it's really, really hard to keep a team to, to 16 points or fewer. It's really hard to do that. The Steelers, believe it or not, for as, as terrible as Randy Fickner was, apparently, uh, a team that averaged 26 points a game throughout the season, they surrendered 19 and a half. That was among the best marks in the league. They got destroyed in the, the first round of the playoffs. 
they didn't win a championship. They were largely a defensive-based team that could still score points. They didn't have a lot of things they needed in that one playoff game, whether it was defense or offense or whatever. Um, Cleveland played a great game. Offensively, defensively, they, they did a great job. Uh, they got beat in the next round. Kansas City got beat in the championship. So you, you look at it in, in such stark terms, it's hard to say there's any one thing that defines greatness. Um, or at the very least, it's debatable. They're all important. Special teams is important. Uh, your front office is important. Your coaching is important. Free agency, the draft, all of these things are important. And in my opinion, the only real commonality a team has uh, between being average and being a championship, a championship caliber squad is they have all those things working for them probably in a two or three year period. They're able to put all of it together and build uh, immediately and for the future over a three-year run, which I think most champions, you can kind of look back and say, this is when it started for them. It, it's not usually a flash of the pan, flash in the pan kind of thing. Um, they're building it through a variety of different ways over a, a, a shorter period of time. It's not just your defense. It's not just your offense. It, it's it's the combination of a lot of different things. Let me add uh, a couple of comments up on the screen. Big up the double HH caught the feet live while watching my kids baseball game to begin double hh please do not get in trouble with your <laughs> wife or your significant other or your kid for not watching their game for watching our podcast and please leave the coaches and the umpires alone yes don't run on the field with the, <laughs> with the new standard hat on and blame us and blame us talking about stealing no, football do, do that just don't blame us for it yeah, just don't blame us for it. <laughs> to your point, and, and to the um, oh, he said his wife is away in England, so uh, uh, that's why he's no, doing this. That, that that exactly. That's why he's not paying attention to the kid. Uh, tell her to bring back some <laughs> digestive biscuits and some tea, and uh, everything will all be good. To your point about when you made, I, I love when you say axioms and all these different things when we when, in, in relation to football. Because when I look at it, if I'm going to throw out a cliche, I would flip the coin if I'm going to throw out a cliche that offense wins championships, that the most important thing now is having the ability to score a bunch of points and play situational defense. You look at teams now that win championships, they score about, I'm going to say, 27 points a game. And their point differential is probably around a touchdown to 10 points. If your point differential is around 10 points, you're close to being an all-time dominant team. Meaning, if you're winning games by an average of 10 points, which is a touchdown and a field goal, you're killing people. I mean, you're just destroying people the entire season. And I'll give you guys an example. The year that the Patriots went 19-1 and and lost in the Super Bowl to the Giants, their point differential was 19 points a game. It was the most insane thing that i ever seen. They were scoring like 38 points a game. They were giving up like 16, 17 points a game. It was statistically the most ridiculous thing ever. So to Neil's point, it's not one thing. But some things are more important than others. I don't think defense will win you a championship, but having a terrible one will definitely not allow you to win one. And it's because you can't score enough points to compensate for how bad your defense is. If you're giving up 25 points a game, you're not going to score 35, 36, 37 a game to compensate for that. If you're giving up 15, which is practically, like Neil said, practically impossible these days, it, it so so you're not going to have a defense to the point where it's what we what we think about in the past. But but it wasn't even true in the past, where your defense could just will you to a victory. Uh, what was that Ravens team that you know Ravens fans laud all about? And I always argue that the 08 Steeler defense was just as good. I think it was that 01 Ravens team. 2000 nope. Ravens, the, the 2000 group, the which 2000 was group. A, a phenomenal defensive team. You know, that, that stuff isn't happening anymore. It, it's just the rules have changed. It's too easy to score, and it's just not happening. What you have 
And, and, I, and I'm going to flip to another old cliche, which I think is more accurate, is you have to have balance. You have to have balance across your entire football team. You have to be good situationally on offense. You need to score points. You got to be good situationally on defense. You got to prevent people from scoring. Those answers aren't sexy, but those are are, are where it is. Because I'm looking at, and I'm going to give you guys some stats. For the last few years, when you look at uh, people that have won the Super Bowl, and I'm just going to go to 2019. Um, so 2019, I think it was the Chiefs that won the Super Bowl. Chiefs and the Niners, that that Jimmy G team. And that Jimmy G team for the Niners lost because they couldn't score points. They played a phenomenal game. They just didn't score enough that game. They averaged 29 at Chiefs. The Niners averaged 29. Chiefs gave up 20. Niners gave up 19. Point differential of 9.7 and 10.1. You look at 2018. You look at the Rams. Uh, they were second in points scored. The Patriots were fourth. Rams gave up 23 points a game, scored 30.8 point differential, seven and a half. Patriots, 27.7. They gave up 20.4 point differential was 7.3. So you have to play the type of football that's going to give you some room to make mistakes in games and you still win because you can't play perfect football consistently to win and you can't consistently win tight games. It's just too difficult. There's too many variables that go on. So in a sense, defense does help you win championships, but I think it's more so situational defense than the overall adage of defense wins championships so keep touching about- on the word situational i think that's the word i honestly it, it's you have to do all these things in the situations where you need to do them you need to be able to score points you need to be able to stop teams on drives if, if it's you got two minutes you just went up by four points you're kicking off it doesn't matter how many points the opponent scored you have to play defense on that drive. Your offense is not going to help you anymore at that point. That's a pure situation-based team. Your, your two-minute drill on defense has to be airtight. You have to be able to, to, to end it. You have to be able to shut somebody down, whether that's a stop, whether that's a, a force fumble, whether it's an a, a interception. You have to be able to step up and, and make plays. Offensively, you flip that around. You got to be able to score. You got to be able to drive your team down the field. You have to have a, a, a group of guys and a set of plays and packages that will get you points. You have to be able to move the ball when you have to do it. I know that that seems overly simple, but that's that's the reality of it. And I think that the Patriots and Bill Belichick in general, this is his basic philosophy on football. You have to be good in situations. You have to break the game down to 13 or 14 plays. And you have to be good enough to win the majority of those plays, the over majority of those plays. And if you look back, you mentioned the, the 2018 Patriots, or the 2017 Patriots, I should say, uh, a team that that beat the Steelers, not in an incredibly convincing fashion, but was an excellent team. Um, it, it was, was that the year they won the championship? I forget because it's either they lost or won the Super Bowl like every year. <laughs> every I, I'm, I'm thinking of 18, the year that the Steelers beat them toward the end of the season. Joe Hayden's interception at the end. Uh, the Steelers miss out in the playoffs. The Patriots were weakened, and the Steelers showed how weak of, a, of an offense they were. They had no playmakers at all. They couldn't move the ball particularly well. They got, and this is the key thing, I think, along with situations, they got the right matchups the rest of the way. They faced, uh, you mentioned the, the Rams getting shut down in, the, in the, the Super Bowl. They scored three points after scoring 30 all season. Belichick had two weeks to prepare for Jared Goff. All he did to beat Jared Goff was change his defense around to play at the exact pace that the Rams were. If you go back and watch that game, the the Patriots didn't break their huddle until there was like eight seconds left on the play clock. It didn't give McVay and Goff the opportunity to look at the defense and then decide what they were going to do. That's all. That's the only adjustment the Patriots made. So that that's a huge benefit to them. They played Kansas City, uh, a, a high flying team, a dominant offensive team that couldn't stop the run. And the Patriots, the only thing they could do was run the ball. So that, that's a win. All they did was would get ahead in the first – or they they ground the game down to basically we're going to make this a, a, a foot race in the second half when we're going to have the lead because we're going to run at you and run at you over and over again until you adjust. You're going to adjust at halftime, 
and then we're going to start throwing the ball and we're going to hope to beat you in the end because really we don't have the talent that you have. We don't have the explosion that you have, but we're going to beat you with this situation. We're going to force you to play left-handed and to come after us in the second half of a game played in your stadium. Somehow it worked. And in all honesty, I think it really only worked because they won the coin toss. But that was the Patriots' uh, entire plan, that playoffs. They had the matchup advantage for everything, and they won based on situations. Do we need to talk about 28-3? to That was a game that was brilliantly played by two teams over a half. And unfortunately, the team that lost looks like the team that, that you know, it, they blew a historic game in historic fashion. But the, the Falcons beat the brakes off of the Patriots in the first half of that game. The Patriots had to win like the 15 most critical plays of the game, which all came in succession in the second half, and somehow they did. It's an absolute fluke. We will never see a game like that again. But again, it, it boils down to situational football. They had to win these things at these times when the game was essentially on the line. Champions do that. Sometimes that's on defense. Sometimes it's on offense. But most often, Lance, is it's both. Throughout the course of a second half of a game, you have to be able to do that. You're going to have to win key downs. You're going to have to stop guys on third down. You're going to have to convert on third and short. You're going to have to get seven instead of three. You're going to have to get a sack, a takeaway. You're going to have to force a penalty. All those things come up. Everybody hates the Patriots. It's mostly because they know how to do those things because that's what they practice. They don't practice your random second possession of, of the first quarter of a game. They practice short yardage. They practice two-minute drill, four-minute drill. They know how to play situationally better than their opponent, opponents do, and they have for years. So speaking to that, Neil, and ironically, when you look at that 2018 team, and they, uh, as you said, they did win the Super Bowl, when you look at the point differential, and this goes to how defense doesn't win championships per se, situational defense does, but you can't have a terrible defense in and of itself, and win. The Chiefs averaged 35 a game, but they gave up 26. They still were maybe two plays away from being mm -hmm. in the Super Bowl. Their differential yep. point differential was 8.6, and that's because as explosive as they were on offense, they were pretty much bad on defense. Had, they, had their defense been anywhere near, let's say, 20 points per game, then they probably win a Super Bowl. That, that, that's a team. But what we saw was that was the foundation to the team that ended up winning the Super Bowl the next season. Yep. So as we talk about situational defense and we talk about situational football, this defense on the Pittsburgh Steelers, this last run of Steeler defense, is, is, is much lauded by many pundits. I think largely because of their ability to, to rush the passer and them getting above 50 sacks, I believe, in the last four seasons. I think they led the NFL in sacks, I think, in three of the last four seasons or maybe in the last three years in a row. They've it's, led. it's something like that, and it's definitely they are the overall leader by a wide margin uh, the last five years cumulatively. And I think they've gotten a sack in every game for the last maybe three seasons. Because um, I know they got a sack. I think the last two years they got a sack in every single game. This defense really does not take shots, in my opinion, by the media, uh, by podcasters. I think this defense is seen as sound, solid, and if the Steelers don't win, it's typically not the blame. Um, they got a little blame, I think, after the Cleveland loss. We we spent. I would, I would hope. We, <laughs> we, we spent, not to. I mean, we spent a large time talking about situational football. Looking at the Steelers statistically, point to a statistic that you think the Steelers defense needs to improve on if this team is going to realistically compete for a championship? I would say, in, in all honesty, and this is simple, um, it, it's basic, it's takeaways. It, takeaways, if you look back on all, all the defenses you just talked about, the situation, as far as an NFL defensive team goes, usually boils down to how often you take the ball away from the opponent. That's how you you end up flipping fields. That's how you, you kind of make yourself – if you're the underdog, you become the favorite in a game if you have the ball more. Uh, the only way to do that without it, it, it comes down to this. And this is an old school adage as well. It's one that that the the coach that I learned probably the most from taught me 
any possession for a team that ends in a kick is a good thing. You're kicking off because you scored, you're kicking a field goal, or you're punting for field position. The drives that don't is hot and cold, okay? It, it's probably, though, you just lost the ball. You fumbled, uh, um, you threw an interception, or it ended at the half. Those aren't positive things. In my mind, the more takeaways you get, the better of a defense you are. You look back at, at 2009 Saints, I know we're big on this. The 2010 Steelers were big on this. One of those is a champion. One of them lost in the Super Bowl. Uh, the, the, the 2010 Packers were good at this. They were also really good in 2009 in this. Um, this is a little ways back. But the, the idea was these teams had good enough offenses that they felt confident um, being able to score when they needed to score. But they emphasized taking the ball away, mostly because if, if, if we don't, they're going to score. There's not really anything we can do. We have to play defense offensively. So we need to get the ball. We're going to take chances. Um, in, in 2009, I use that as an example because if you look back, Drew Brees was dialed in that entire season. That's his MVP year. That's one of the better years a quarterback is ever going to have. They knew that he was that good. They knew that they had the weapons around him. Their offense was all but unstoppable. And in that, what they're going to do then is, well, we'll get them the ball. If they score, they score. And it's even because we're going to come back and score too. But if we can get up after a turnover and flip the first two possessions of the game to 14 nothing, we're in a great position. Let me ask you a question, Neil, because I, I, I've heard people say this, that turnovers are random. The turnovers are very random, that it's hard to depend on turnovers to sustain you because of the random nature of turnovers. Let me, let me ask, do you agree and do you think there are ways to play defense from a coverage perspective or or can you teach like is there anything that you can do from a coaching perspective, coverage perspective, anything to try to increase the propensity of turnovers that you get? And let me add, in 2020 the Steelers ranked 5th in turnover margin. And in 2019, they ranked eighth. 2018, they were terrible at 28, 2017, 14, and 2016, 10. So to that question, we saw a flip in their ability to get turnovers after the 2018 season. Is there something that they did or is there something that you can do from a football perspective to try to get more turnovers? First thing, you said 10 in 2016. Is that takeaways or is that interceptions? This is turnover margin, just period. Turnover, oh, turnover margin. margin. Okay, plus 10 is massive in that regard. That That's a that's an offense and defensive statistic. No, no, that's not the number. This is what yeah, they rank. I'm just, just to, to clarify. All right. Um, I would say this. Yes, I understand where randomness comes into play. The reality is a fumble recovery is random. You really can't it, – It's it's hard to say – there's a skill at recovering a fumble. Um, the, you know, that's how the ball bounces. You know, that, that's, that's a literal thing. Um, I feel forcing a fumble is a skill, but the randomness piece of it comes into, it's almost like a secondary action in many cases. Uh, you have to get to the ball carrier. You have to hit the ball carrier. You have to then dislodge the ball. Uh, turnovers, it, it, as defined by interceptions, which I, I feel are for the best defenses are going to be more prevalent. Uh, there is absolutely a skill to that, uh, getting to the ball, being in position to get to the ball, as well as pressuring the bad throw, the mistake, tipping the ball at the line, um, separating the receiver from the ball, knocking the ball up in the air. These are all coachable things. And the reason I say that, and this is why I asked about 2016, the Steelers had a massive overhaul of their defensive secondary coaching because of the lack of turnovers that they had. They put a lot into their pass rush as far as personnel goes. Um, you're drafting T.J. Watt. You already had Bud Dupree. Cam Hayward is a complete freak. You put money into Stephon it. You have good nose tackles that are able to, to get upfield and get to the quarterback. Um, the pressure that they were creating was not necessarily creating the, the byproduct of the takeaways that you really kind of want with that. A sack is great. A turnover is better. You know, there, there's no situation in which a, a, a takeaway is not better than a sack, but both are, are good for, for their own reasons. Uh, for As far as the Steelers went, they wanted to find ways to better coach guys to get to the ball. Now, we, we won't sidetrack this whole thing and talk about their ability to scout the, the kinds of defensive backs that can get to the ball, except to say Minka Fitzpatrick is pretty damn good at what he does. And I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that, except for Dolphins fans. 
He's really good. He's an all-pro guy. In my opinion, he's the next Ed Reed. Not that he's going to be Ed Reed, but the Steelers have intentionally played him in that Ed Reed role. Well, middle to end of Ed Reed's career when he was just purely a center fielder. He sat back and cherry-picked uh, deeper passes. They, The idea is having Fitzpatrick patrol that deep in the field, play on instinct, which he's gotten burned on a couple times, which is going to happen. But the idea is he can take the ball away. He can make a quarterback think twice about throwing as a secondary value, which leads to more sacks. Uh, creating opportunities to get to the ball happens from the personnel that you have and the scheme in which you have them play. So in, in my opinion, you have to consider randomness to some degree, but that's not the point. It, it's, you know, if, if we're going to look at it in a pure binary fashion, as in these numbers mean this, okay, but the reality is, in big moments, you need to make big plays. Minka Fitzpatrick had half of the playmaking year in, in 2020 as he did in 2019. You remember the Ravens takeaway. That won the game. Huge play. Fitzpatrick prepared for that play. If you watch it, he's sizing it up. He's waiting. He's going after the ball, and he's making a play on it. It's random in the sense that sometimes he's going to catch it, sometimes he isn't. But in my opinion, by and large, you're taking away the ball at, at, at the plays you're making on the ball are reflective of the amount of interceptions that you get. It's not like there's a fluke one way or the other. You just happen. You're not Ike Taylor that literally couldn't catch the ball for 10 years somehow or other. That really just doesn't happen. So, so you're, so you're from, from your perspective, you think fumbles and fumble recoveries are more random than interceptions. I Fumbles think so, are yeah. I, I rallying think... to the football. You you possibly, you know, because they're playing so fast, you get your helmet on it possibly. You know, that football's that 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 fumbles are more random than interceptions. Yeah, absolutely. I I I think there are much more there are more elements that go into a fumble that is not a, a product of the defense. Interceptions pretty much has to be to some degree a product of the defense. In other words, what I'm saying is you will see running backs, um, in, you know, in, in, in slipperier conditions, not protect the ball the way that they need to and lose grip of it. Then it gets dislodged. If he's gripping the ball like he normally would, that wouldn't be a fumble. You don't see many passes that are just so errantly bad. They just happen to get intercepted. Quarterbacks are way better than they were 50 years ago. You just you, it happens, but not nearly at the frequency that you will see fumbles. So if you're saying, and the, and by the way, the Steelers led the NFL in 2020 in, in interceptions with 18, um, also tied with the Saints and the Patriots and the Dolphins. So it looks like the Steelers are taking the ball away. If you're fifth in 2020 in turnover margin ranking and your eighth in 2019. How do you improve that? Cause I believe in the 2019 season, I think they got the most turnovers. It seems to me that if you're fifth and eighth, the problem might not necessarily be your defense. The problem could be that your offense consistently gives the ball away. And there was a nasty streak that the Steelers had I think for the last, I think it was like maybe a 23 game streak somewhat where they had at least one turnover in a game and it almost was for a complete two seasons. Speak to that. I'll say this it, as far as the, the reflexive nature of takeaways, um, giving it away might be worse than your lack of ability to take it away. I agree. Steelers fans will remember full well the 2011 team that somehow or other uh, generated like no takeaways whatsoever and still managed to, to put a fairly decent team out on the field. But they folded when the game was on the line. When they needed a play, uh, they gave up an 80-yard touchdown pass in, in overtime of a playoff game. Things like that eventually will come back to haunt you. You need to be able to get to the ball. You need to be able to make plays on the ball. Your ability to protect the ball is equally important. Now, I say this, let me add this to, to, to the list that you're writing down now. What's critically important in my mind, if you want to be a running football team, in other words, if, if you are going to run more than 12 times a game, you need to take the ball away for that to really work. Otherwise, you're, yes. playing, you're playing heads up with, say, the Kansas City Chiefs. 
they don't, you know, you're not going to be able to run on a team for four quarters that has an offense like the Chiefs do. You're, it, it's just not going to balance out that way. I mentioned earlier, the Patriots won that game, the AFC Championship game that they won in overtime because they were the team that won the coin toss and got the ball last. They ran the Chiefs off the field in the first half. Belichick planned that intentionally. He said, we have to make this a, a, a really a foot race game. But the difference is we need to run 100 meters, not 400 meters. They're going to kill us over four quarters with that style. But if we suck the air out of the ball and buy a lead that way to make them need one more possession to beat us than what we need, we can beat them at the end. And that's not a high high probability game. That's why they were six-point underdogs. But it, it, they executed it brilliantly. It, it worked exactly as I'm describing it. They scored on their last three possessions, and the Chiefs scored on their last three possessions to tie the game up. The Patriots got the ball first in overtime. They played to get to overtime, and from there, sometimes it, it's as simple as a coin toss. And then the Patriots went and did it again and, and won the game. So um, what I mean overall just by by takeaways in general is it creates possession. You can't score if you don't yes. have the ball. That's an old-school motive, I know, but I don't believe that efficiency over a 16-game season compels championship teams come January. It's a matter it's, it's, of what you have and how you are matching up against another team. And that's a question of how you play the game. And it's not necessarily old school. It's just math, right? It, it's just math. If you take away people's possessions, because you're only going to get probably around 11 or 12 possessions a game. On average, you're going to punt probably at least five times on those. I mean, you're going to punt five yeah. times, right? So if you get 12 possessions, you punt five times. You're talking about seven possessions. If you take away possession, six, five, four, if you don't give away possessions, you don't give them extra possessions to score. It's hard. Although it seems very easy because of the scoring that we see, it's hard to score. It's especially hard to score long field. So you need more possessions. And to your point about the interception, so whatever the Steelers are doing, it could be schematic. It could be players combination of the both in terms of interceptions over the last two years they're second in the national football league to the patriots the patriots have 43 interceptions the steelers have 38 so when we're talking about does defense win championships and looking at particular things on defense that the steelers need to get better they're taking the ball away but like we're illustrating they're having some difficulty keeping the ball yeah, and I would agree with that. Let me get to, to, to my original point in saying that they need to improve as far as their takeaways go. I will say this. It, it, this is really just the way that I view it. If you stay at a certain top level, which may or may not be fairly defined as uh, relative to your peers, where they rank fifth, eighth, whatever, that's only it's relative to how many interceptions are going around the league. If they're staying at a consistently high number that – subjectively, yes, we, we can establish that the, that number is this. And the Steelers are at that mark now. I feel that's an improvement. If you do that year to year, you're proving it's not a fluke. Therefore, you are improving on your, your ability just simply based on what the rest of the league is doing to stay above everybody else. That's improvement to me. And again, the, the real value to, to the point that you're making is if they are still taking the ball away, and giving more possessions. And this is a team, too, that had 26 to 19 and a half scoring differential last year. If they're doing those things and the offense improves enough to draw two more minutes of possession, to draw three more points a game, to add one and a half expected points off of a turnover, they're going to be a championship-level team because that's usually how it works. You're going to be able to score more than the other team will if you run more possessions than them and – you have the ability to score. And the Steelers, I think, will have that with a better, more balanced uh, uh, overall offense, which they've already shown that they're going to have because it's tough to miss that mark from last year. And their defense, if it can stay at the level where they're taking the ball away, that is overall team improvement that is defined, in my opinion, through the takeaway stat. Is there another stat that that's key to you in terms of improvement on the defense uh, and, and there's another question I want to ask you after you answer that. Is, th is there another stat? So we're talking about takeaways. Um, is there another stat that you think 
that they need to improve on from a defensive perspective um, to compete for a championship. This, this is the one I think everyone's going to shout to, to you know, <laughs> put on high hallelujah uh, over mentioning it, but third down conversions. Uh, there were games, and th- here's the tricky thing. I want to introduce the idea of cumulative statistics versus game-to-game statistics. There were games last season where the Steelers were flat-out awful on third downs. Um, the Eagles, they let from a, a, a three-score deficit, and they were destroying that team. They let them walk back in the door because Carson Wentz uh, couldn't miss that one. I don't even remember the guy's name anymore. Um, on, on third and 18, they converted everything on third downs. Third downs are get-off-the-field downs. Those are money downs. You have to be proficient on third downs to be a good defense, period. Because third down conversions mean plays. They mean punts. They mean possession. Usually takeaways. Most interceptions come on third downs for obvious reasons. Sacks come on third downs. To me, that is the measurement of your dominance as a defense, is your ability to get a team off the field. Look it up. You're going to see an inverse uh, relationship between your ability to get a team off the field on third down and your ability to hold them under points and your own rise in expected points. What that means is if you, it's really, it's everything. It includes all aspects of your defense. It's depth, it's personnel, it's scheme, uh, your your run stopping ability, uh, your ability to defend the pass, take the ball away, sack the quarterback. You have the best opportunity to show all of those things on third down. You need to be a dominant third down team in order to succeed in today's NFL. Patrick Mahomes is going to whip you on first and second down. When he shows you a third and six, third and seven, you need to win that down. He's going to beat you every other time. If you're that close to the finish line, you got to win. You you need to be able to finish that that series off. That's modern NFL in my mind. Just for, for everything you said earlier about the fact that um, teams are going to score more easily than they were before. When you have the opportunity, when you've won first and second down in the sense that you didn't give up a touchdown or a first down, you need to be able to close that off. That makes the value of that down um, really the the most prominent part of all of your defense. It's interesting that you say this because I I do – I tally stats for myself. And it's funny, I'm looking at my 2020 stats for the Steelers, and it's probably kind of reflective of – how I thought the Steelers season was going to go late in the year because I don't have the last game statistics in <laughs> any, any of my sheets. Um, in many ways. You know, you know, I don't have – I mean, it's it's funny that it's kind of reflective. I don't have game 16 in anything. It's it's We've touched on situational stuff. And when you look at stats a lot of time, yes, thank you, Marcus J. It was Fulgham. Thank you, Marcus that J, for on, that. That kid was on um, fire that game. He was killing oh him. God. And thank you, Marcus J, for being a consistent guy that comes into the live chat. Thank you, Marcus. And um, we've we've hit on situational stuff. And the one thing that you don't see a lot of times when you look up statistics, um, and and I and I'm missing the name in terms of how they break them down because there's a couple of ways you can find stats. You can find games, and then you can find I forget the name of the other type of where they kind of break it down divisional, and they break it down second half. I forget what that what that's called, but a lot of times you don't see situational stats. So, for instance, talking about third down percentage defense, right? I'm sure it, it varies between first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter close games, um, blowouts, so on and so forth. And a lot of times when we see these stats is you don't see the variance of some of these statistical categories over the course of a season. You see the total number. So to your point, if the ball game is 16 to 10, you know, you're up 16, 10 and, you know, you've held a team to, you know, two of 15 on third down. I mean, hell, that looks great for the game. But if they convert the two third downs that lead to a drive where they score a touchdown late and you lose 17-16, it's right that fans come away saying they suck on third down. Those, and it's those also, are and it, the plays they're going to look at. We know that. I mean, you, right. you can be great and, overall and lose the situation. And that costs you the game. Right. And it's also correct if there's a guy that says, no, the Steelers are great on third down. They only gave up two of 15 in the game. That's a situation where 
both are absolutely true. They sucked on third down in the situation where it was most critically important, but overall they were excellent on third down. And I think what we're kind of, I think what we're illustrating in the show is it's situational. It's granular. And if you can find these little micro points in games where you can you know, assert some pressure or really emphasize that that's where you're good. If you understand, it's great if we can be good on third down all game, every game. That's great. You understand you're not. It's football. They're going to make some plays. You're going to make some plays. That's how it works unless you're playing a team that just is completely terrible. You have to find the key situations in key places to win. Like you were saying, those critical downs, those critical situations. It might not be, you know, you may lose on third down a little bit early in the game, but in the second half in a tight game, if you get guys off the field five consecutive drives in the second half and you take over and you win, Guess what? Nobody's going to care that the Texans are lights out in the first half and and, and Watson is absolutely killing you because what do the Steelers do? They made adjustments at halftime. Exactly. Their defense played really well. Right. And and that Texan game was a a perfect example of it. Watson was, he was lights out in the, the second half of that. I remember you and I were texting during that game. You couldn't have possibly have felt good watching him do the things that he was doing. And really, in, in my mind, what it suggests is you have, uh, and for, for those who don't know, this is true of pretty much every coach. You're going to hear uh, that this coach does it or that coach does it. And the, it, usually the media saying it are, are going to act as if they just invented the concept. Teams script out their first 12 to 15 plays. And usually it's kind of situation-based. But uh, it, it, it's wide open. So they have, and they've practiced, these say 12 plays these are what they're going to run in order if things go the way that we want them to go so we expect to have a a seven play first drive because we're going to get the ball at the 25 yard line to get to the end zone we're going to run these seven plays that's going to work for us they prepare as if that's going to be the case you see teams look flawless on their first drive or two when they are and this is the the term used for it uh on script you're running your scripts those are the best plays you should run as an offense. You better get those right. And for me, when I get after coaches, it's when you look like SHIT on script. And we see that a lot in Pittsburgh, unfortunately. Randy Fickner kind of had a problem with this. But they really kind of seem to be more, let's see what happens first. Let's run our scripts to find out what they're going to do, and we'll catch up in, in the end. I don't know if I like that philosophy as much. We'll see what happens with them this year. But don't at the like same time, no, you don't no. like I mean, that it, it, This is a team that under Fickner <laughs> average. there was a stretch of time. They averaged 27 points a game, but they couldn't score on their first two drives. To see, half their games, they ran six plays in their first two drives. They had no success at all. It's kind of like, take advantage of this. You know, let's let's try to, to match them toe for toe here so you don't need to worry about having to come back or protect a smaller lead, get a bigger lead. But what we did see from the Steelers in the second half was they adjusted and they came out and played usually really well in the second half. And oddly enough, Bill O'Brien did this all the time in Houston. They looked like garbage to start off most of their games. They adjusted and they came back. That's kind of the benefit of having a really good quarterback. Let the quarterback see what he sees and then make adjustments based on what a defense is doing. So it's almost as if you're flipping offense to defense in in an execution standpoint. Offensively, we're not attacking you yet until we know what you're doing. Defensively, we're coming at you until you show us what you're doing. So in, in many ways, what you're saying is legitimate, but it comes down to how good a coach is at adjusting because the second half, if we're going to deem that that really is the more important half, which it is because that's the one the table is set for, you're not on the same page coming out of the locker room at halftime, uh, opponent to opponent. Um, you're, whatever the score is, things have happened. How you adjust to that is going to be the difference in the game. And the best coaches are the ones that can adjust more so than just plan out the, the script. So to me, in a lot of ways, third down conversions come out of that. What your adjustment is in the first half after you got crushed on, on third downs, you come out and get the key third downs at the end. 
that's adjustment. That's game planning. That that's a, a something that is contributed to by everybody who's involved with it. Before we get out of here and conclude the show, is there any other statistic on the defensive side you'd want to point to? Because I think what we're we we've kind of teased it out, and, and, and this is what I've I've thought for years that defense is situational and complementary. Both sides of the ball complement each other, and you have to be situationally good. You have to win the big downs to win consistent games, and you need quality, consistent quarterback play. Is there any other thing on the defensive side that you think that they can improve on? Because we talked about turnover margin, turnovers, um, and we talked about third down defense. Is there anything else um, that you can think of? Somebody mentioned it in the chat earlier, and I didn't want to say this as a a statistic because it really isn't, but health. That is a, an absolute primary function of every good team that that plays uh, for at a championship level. You need to be healthy. And the Big Steelers, up to Devin Snowden for that. Big yeah, up the, the Steelers have not been healthy defensively. And to be fair, everybody has the same issue. I get that. But the Steelers lose key defensive guys, not just guys, key defensive guys. When I say key, I mean Devin Bush, who's a good player. Don't get me wrong. You like Devin Bush. He's certainly a future captain. If he isn't this year, he's going to be very, very soon. It's the fact that then you're replacing him with, um, oh, my God, what's with me in names today? Robert Spillane, a a guy that by all rights shouldn't be playing. I mean, you don't have adequate depth. The Steelers have lost. Spillane's nephew. The Steelers have lost those depth guys, the, the guys with the lack of depth. You look at 2013, for example, everybody talked up and down how difficult it was to replace Marquise Pouncey on defense because he went down seven plays into the season, and it absolutely was. Losing Larry Foote on the other side was just as bad. So they lost two of them by the third quarter, and the first quarter of their season completely went off the rails. Th- those were two positions they did not have adequate depth at. The Steelers tend to lose those kinds of guys, and it takes a bit to have to replace them. That's the problem. Having to change the car tire while the vehicle is bombing down the road is really hard to do. If they lose a guy like Bush, like Watt, like Hayward, they're not going to have the ability to just replace them and continue moving. Next man up and all that blah, blah, nothing rhetoric. It, it, it's meaningless. They need to be able to stay healthy this year defensively. Yeah, things are going to go south in a hurry if they lose a key guy on defense. If they lose a, a starting cornerback, they're in real trouble because it's not so much the guy that they're losing. It's that they have nobody backing them up, and they're they're thin. They know that they're thin. Um, that's that's To me, that's trouble, and I, I don't know if we can rack that up to a, a statistic, but statistically speaking, they've lost defensive players. One guy that have you know, eventually led to a, a, an overall – you know, ineffectiveness of their defense. I think we saw that last year to some degree with the combination of Bush going down, Tyson Alualu missing time. Keep in mind, when Alualu went down the first time, they were averaging like 46 inches of rushing yards a game, something like that. Alualu went down and the Cowboys ran all over them somehow or other in that fluke of a game. You might remember that. Um, Those types of things contribute to problems over a continued period of time. A, 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 a trend of games, you know, your four game stretch, your eight game stretch, they can get in big time trouble if they, they suffer injuries, which, you know, just based on history, it's going to happen somewhere. You just hope that uh, it's not one of the most important guys that they have. Speaking of that real quick, before we get out of here, let's give a big shout out to uh, double H's kid on the baseball field. And hopefully double H, because you're still uh, interacting with the show, you have not been restrained from running out the first base and running around the bases with your son as they hit their their home run. So, uh, But if you do Double H, make sure you record that and give the New Standard Podcast a shout-out and uh, make sure you do uh, a search for YouTube and tell everybody about the show as you get arrested and put into the car and get <laughs> driven gonna, off. We're not going to gonna bail you out. But we're not going to bail you promo. out. But we do want you to give us a promo <laughs> and a shout out. I think it was a very solid show today. And I think that I think what we are we're, we're illustrating is that winning it, it's nuanced. Um, but the things that are there are consistency um, and it's complementary and it's situational. And you kind of have to have this strange magic blend 
on the years that you win championships. It's like making a good roux or a good gumbo. Like sometimes it's better some days than it's others. It's just the ingredients blend and mix, and it's just it comes out fabulous that particular year. You have all the best plans, but kind of all these different ingredients and these different things and these factors have to kind of just blend together right and work out right for you to ascend and to win a championship. And it's just difficult and it's hard. And that's why a team that's been established, that was established in 1933 with six championships has the most Super Bowls tied with that dreaded team up North um, in new England. But like you said, you have to identify the areas of the game that you have to win situationally. And you have to be able to win those moments in games to consistently win. Is there anything that fans should look out for on the wire network next week? You know, um, I don't know where I sit right now. This is kind of you a dead never, time of the year. You never know on Sundays. Anyway, <laughs> when I keep ask asking, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I meet with people on Monday to go over any type of weekly budget that they might have. I just know that um, this is a great period of time for fan interaction, for reactions to stuff. Answering Marcus J's question of whether we have any faith in the tackles. The answer is I don't know why we would have an abundance of faith in either of them. Zach Banner is a really funny guy. He seems like a great guy. I'm, I'm happy he's in Pittsburgh, but we haven't seen him play. And for people to act as if he's going to step in and, and do really well, it, it's completely unfounded. You have no way to, to support that. I hope he does. Absolutely hope that he does. He, again, he looks like a great guy. Um, we don't know. So it, as far as having faith in him goes, I don't know if they had really any other options. So uh, I hope so for, for his sake. He doesn't need my faith, but – um, I, I hope he can step in and play well. I don't think Chucks is particularly good. Uh, I don't think he's particularly bad. I think he's a, a very reasonable NFL tackle. Um, he's not going to be a Pro Bowl level guy, but I, I think he'll be all right. Um, let's just hope schematically and from a, a, a coaching perspective, what they're doing is understood like clockwork between all five of them and all eight of them uh, in the room. Let, let's hope all of them can do what they need to do in unison together because just my useless two cents, they're the sum of their whole is going to have to be better than the sum of their parts because they're, they're not a good talented line. Right. Right. Well, you know, we can only be optimistic about that. Um, I know from an ACAB perspective, I, I would like to go to the wire network and, and see a, a nice breakdown on Matt Canada, his offense and how it may complement. Um, a young line as well as an aging quarterback. So that's just me uh, raising my hand and, 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 and giving. I, I'll tell you what, Lance, I could make all that up for you if you'd like. <laughs> there are several blogs that are going to write that. I'll tell you right now, you have no way of knowing any of that. And yes, if you want to yes. write for 5,000 words and tell me why I'm wrong, I'm not because you don't know. You don't know what Matt Canada right. is like in the NFL. You don't know what they're going to do with the offense. You can infer, you can guess, you can speculate. You know, it, but just the fact that everybody is so taken in by, well, he's going to put more motion into the offense. You watched Antonio Brown run in motion for seven seasons. It's not a new concept. Okay. It depends <laughs> on your personnel. It depends on what your quarterback wants to do. Um, it, it, there are a lot of things that come with it, but just simply running motion is not what made Antonio Brown great. Okay. It's not what, what had been produce his best seasons. There's a lot of things that come into a lot of things. And Matt Canada's offense is not simply running guys in motion. It's not simply running jet sweeps, which we saw get shut down by the time they, they stopped doing them completely. There are a lot of things that go into it. Um, we don't know what kind of, of packages they're going to run. I will say this, regardless of anything else, the one huge advantage that Matt Canada is going to have over Randy Fickner is the fact that Canada is going to be able to run 12 personnel and Fickner couldn't. Okay. They didn't have tight ends good enough to run 12 personnel. Vance McDonald. I, I was surprised he even made it through the rest of the season. He was walking wounded the whole year. Uh, he couldn't play. Fryermuth is going to be able to come in and, and do things to afford them the ability to have uh, that entire formation re-entered into their playbook. That's going to make them better in and of itself. And Canada is going to get the praise for it as if he invented the package in and of himself. That's just simply not true. They didn't have the, the personnel to do it. Those types of things we're going to see. Um, and we're going to see a lot of growing pains with it as well. It, it's, it takes a while to learn everything new. Uh, we know that. We, we didn't see a great offense come in when, when Todd Haley first started. Um, 2012, they were pretty rough. 
2013, by the end of it, you started seeing some pretty good uh, um, offensive ability. In 2014, they blew up. Canada is not going to come in and, and, and take them, you know, plus 13 points per game over the previous year. So, Steeler fans, thank you for chiming into another episode of The New Standard. And we always conclude the show the same way. As always, fans, remember to tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. And remember, if you can throw a football through a car wash and it not get wet, you have a cannon <laughs> arm. See you next week.